Welcome again to Fishing Without Bait, a lifetime without definitive expectations, where we help people explode into their lives through full impact mindfulness. If you have the honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness to try, get a seat in a boat and start the engine and come on board and let the adventure begin. And today we continue our conversations with our new friends, Merlin and Eamon, of the podcast, A Gay and His Envy. When the pandemic hit and TikTok kind of blew up and became my my only access to the outside world, um, I started finding communities that were teaching me things that helped me figure out who I was. Um, you know, the autistic community there and neurodivergent community there is huge. Um, I'm also pagan now that I've left the Christian church, um, and the pagan slash witchcraft community there is also huge and vibrant. And, um, I've learned so much, the the queer community there is huge and vibrant, and I've learned so much about, um, being, um, anti-racist from, uh, TikTok and have learned, you know, so much there, and I owe so much to the communities that I've found there in figuring out not just who I am, but also figuring out how to lead with compassion, not just for myself, compassion for who I am, but compassion for others. So speaking of compassion, Merlin, the Bible's Jesus' message was one of love, compassion, and forgiveness. Yeah, it doesn't, think... so, it doesn't sound like that message was resonated in your church. No, um, it is definitely something that they say a lot, um, but there, there's a saying that there's no hate like Christian love. And what that means is that a lot of times, and this is not all Christians, right? This is the alt-right, um, super conservative, evangelical Christian sect. Um, they, speak, they speak for God. Well, they think they do. Yes. Well, they, they believe they do. And um, they will do pretty much anything to get you into line. Um, and the uh, um, there's no hate like Christian love means that their version of love is I love you so much that I will help you strip away everything that makes you you so that you fall in line and can be saved. That's their idea of love. Were you accepted in your own home, Merlin? Absolutely not. Um, there were there were times when um, I was tangentially threatened. It wasn't so much the, like, we're going to hurt you for being gay, but it was like, you know, it was... Um, you know, if someone were to come out, you know, in this family is gay, we'd beat their kneecaps in with a uh, Louisville slugger. Or there was the fact that when I did come out as gay, um, which was right after my brother died, um, he had profound disabilities all his life and death was a release for him. So as much as I miss him, he's better off. Um, but after that tragedy for my family, my mother had the audacity to tell me 
that she would rather watch him suffer and die again than become to our wedding. Um, and as much as I've moved past that and I've healed a lot from that, it still hurts because it's my mom, you know, it doesn't matter what your mom does. You're still going to love her. Um, and you still are going to crave her love and affection and to know that they're never really going to fully accept me. I mean, I've not even come out to them as non-binary. I've not told them that I'm pagan because I, what's the point, right? It's just going to cause more trauma. At this point, I live my life. They know what they need to know. And that's it. You didn't feel accepted as a human being? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. My brother always did. My brother always accepted me. I think everybody knew. But it was one of those things that nobody was allowed to talk about. Because you don't talk about things that embarrass the family. Um, and it was something that... Um, I was definitely made to feel unaccepted. Um, but Alan, who's my brother, he always, uh, he was always the voice of reason. He was always the one pushing back against them in more subtle ways, but still was, hey, no, like, I'm, I'm going to argue against that. Because that's not, that doesn't fall in line with what you taught us. That's not the God that you taught us about. Did you attempt to conform just to... Oh, absolutely. Just to relieve some of the... Absolutely. Um, until I went to college, I considered myself a born-again Christian. I was speaking in tongues. I was the person at the altar call every time I was the person who was singing in the worship team, um, singing in the choir. I was doing every performative thing I could to convince myself and everyone around me that I was normal, normal, normal. In the 12-step world, we say normal is a setting on a washing machine. Yeah, it's it's not, like, there's no such thing as normal. Like, um, one of the things that I've learned is that normal is really just based on, you know, performative whiteness. And when we move away from the definition of conforming to whiteness and white supremacy and that includes not just racism right but like neurodivergence is attacked under white supremacy queerness is attacked under white uh, supremacy uh, differences in religion are attacked under white supremacy so when we start to deconstruct that whiteness and decolonize our minds and move beyond that, then we start to pull down the window dressing and realize that it's all just 
bullshit. Sounds like there was much inner turmoil. A lot. If you, like, there's not physical scars, but if the emotional scars were visible, it would be horrifying. Yes, I can't. I I think one of the most disrespectful things, Eamon, that a human being can say to another is, I know how you feel, because that's impossible. So could you share with our audience uh, some of your story? Yeah, I mean, he, and like I mentioned before, like, Mine definitely is not to his level. And also the fact that, you know, Merlin's been, you know, he, he's taught me a lot, especially in terms of the sort of either blind spots and, and, and certain things I haven't been able to experience in that regard. But uh, yeah, so I was, you know, um, a, a, one of two uh, sons uh, had a really, uh, I would say really stable family life for most of my life um, up until, uh, when I was about 14, 15, my dad passed away from pancreatic cancer. Um, and obviously a very traumatic experience for any family when you lose a parent like that. Um, my brother, who was two years younger than me, um, was starting middle school. I was starting high school. It was very much a, you know, integral part of our lives. And then this kind of just wrinkle through everything, a uh, uh, whirlwind, um, me and my brother kind of coped in very different ways. I would say, uh, through that, um, he turned to drugs and alcohol, um, and, uh, had a very tumultuous couple years before I went to college. Um, and it was it just a lot of, you know, anger, a lot of resentment, a lot of just tension in the household, which obviously never, never is good. And, and, you know, I had a mother who, was grieving the loss of a husband for, you know, 20, 30 plus years and didn't know how to handle it. She didn't have like the manual to figure it out, which is, I tell her to this day, she, she's always so apologetic. And I just, you know, she never, she didn't have a, a rule book into how to fix things. And so I, 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 you know, try to tell her that all the time is that, you know, <laughs> we were all trying to figure it out. Um, luckily my brother has gotten a lot of help. He's doing amazing right now. Um, uh, and that, I think, um, if anything, if it, if anything of that time shaped me, I think it kind of put me in a position where, um, I definitely consider myself somebody who like tries to pick up the pieces of any situation. I, I, you know, I look at something and feel like I have to step in, in many regards and sort of, you know, when, no one else is taking the reins to take them. Um, I think if anything negative from that experience though, I would say it's pro it probably didn't help in terms of um, expressing my emotions. And we've talked about this about like sort of my inability to sort of like say things that are on my mind sometimes because there's sort of an, uh, I believe in the back of my head of like, well, don't add to any, you know, strife or any tension if you if you can't um and obviously that probably isn't the most healthiest way to go about things but um but that was sort of i think a large chunk of my life is um was that period i went off to college um like i mentioned didn't come out until i was 22 i think like 21 or 22 like really late into uh to my college life and it was really at a position point of like not knowing what my future was going to look like. Um, 
And then that kind of just progressed on of I moved to, you know, sort of dropped everything, moved to Dallas, um, met Merlin shortly thereafter, and kind of the rest progressed from there. Merlin, it sounds like for a while, either you were the poster child or you were trying to fake it until you make it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it, it was both. It was when you grow up with um, a brother who is profoundly disabled, not only was I made to grow up by dealing with the trauma of what happened to me, but I was also made to grow up because I had to become a caregiver at six years old when he went into the wheelchair and all of this stuff was happening to me behind the scenes. I also went into a caretaker role for my older brother is not even a younger brother. He was six years older than me. And he had, um, we had an older brother, James, and he was racked with guilt because what because Alan's disabilities were all genetic and Alan was a extremely sweet person and James always felt guilt because he felt like it should have hit him that he was a bad kid and that he deserved to go through that and Alan didn't um and that's something that I think he still struggles with but he's coping a lot better than he used to he used to get into a lot of trouble and um like he he had a lot of uh delinquent uh (laughs) (laughs) episodes as as a child and as a teenager um so to counter that i had to be the perfect child because my parents had enough to deal with you know, they couldn't put up with the things that I needed. You know, I fell to the background. I became a caretaker. I became um, a helper around the house and tried to just not make waves. And the needs that I had went to the wayside because they just weren't as loud as everyone else's. And that's something that I think over the years I have learned to forgive my parents for because they were dealing with so much and they didn't know what they were doing either. They were grieving the fact that they were told that their child was going to die at 18. And he made it to 33 because of the care and love and dedication that they showed him. Um, but I, I couldn't add to that. And my needs went to the wayside. And I can't blame them. You know, they did what they could. They did the best that they could. And I, I think now, if they had known better, would they have done better? Well, maybe, maybe not. That's a fool's errand. Sounds like you sacrificed a lot. I did. I had to. Or at least I felt like I had to. I shouldn't have had to. Um, And I think that part of healing is realizing that, yeah, I went through some awful things that I should not have had to go through, but I also am at peace with where I am today. And that is not thanks to the trauma I went to. That was the hard work that I did 
to recover from that trauma that has made me who I am. But had I not gone through that, who knows? And again, trying to figure out what could have been is a fool's errand. Oh, that's, we explore time traveling on this show often. <laughs> Most people have frequent flyer miles to the past and the future. Yes. Brief layovers in the present. Yeah. There's a line in the promises, uh, Eamon, that says, uh, in the, in the, after every step in the 12-step world, there's promises. And one of the pro- part of the ninth step promises says, uh, we do not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. Mm. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit both us and others. Yeah. Yeah, I, lo- I, I think that's a great way to look at things. Like, I think, you know, I tried, like I mentioned before, I tried my best to take the positive elements of those terrible times and, so, and you know, help inform me, I guess, in terms of what I, what I do well and what I try to, and can, and can do better at. I think that's the only way I can look at things. I think, um, I got praised a lot sort of in my twenties and later on, um, in some of the work that I had done, um, I had done work in pro wrestling, um, and I got praised a lot for my work ethic. And I think part of, I think back and I think a lot of that had to do with those sort of really difficult times. And without that, I, you know, it's like things could be very different, but like you said, like there's no point in dwelling on that. That's why all these tattoos, I'm right here. It's right yeah. now. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that we pro- I ask people to preface their choices on, and of course the powerful words I choose is do no harm. Yeah. If I'm not doing any harm to anyone or anything, I tell people do as you choose. Exactly. So what we try to do is on this show is we try to help people understand that they are important. Most people think that's a foreign concept. And we try to help people understand that there's a difference between arrogance and confidence. Mm-hmm. Arrogant people, you stay away from them. You shy away from them. Confident people, you follow. Oh, yeah. So what I try to tell people is what's good for you is good for everyone. Well, and that's one of the reasons that we wanted to start this podcast was we didn't want to talk about I mean, I think it's important to put your past out there and to share the struggles that you've been with because that helps people to relate to you and realize that they're not alone in the struggles that they're going through. Um, But we also didn't want our podcast to focus on that. We wanted our podcast to focus on lighthearted, happy things, even if it's crazy people screaming at each other (laughs) in restaurants right like it's fun for the viewers and and it's fun for us and we just wanted to put out there this image of queer people who are just enjoying life and are just like living in the moment and soaking up everything that they can. I think with this move, especially like, I think we're at a place now where we get to sort of enjoy ourselves in many ways in like in the sense that we don't feel like we have to perform all the time in cases where we need to, or, you know, have that sort of dread and worry to where we can just sort of enjoy our lives. And I think this is, you know, like what you said is so, accurate i think of like you know we we feel as though like this is their time to actually like live our lives as they're meant to be and we want 
to make sure that people who are still in it, who are still living in these states where their rights are being stripped away constantly, and that's not to take away from the fact that the entire country is dealing with that, right? Even though we live in a more purple state now and definitely a liberal city, right, where I do not feel um, at all unsafe. I do not feel like there is any time since we've moved up here where I'm ever going to be attacked for who I am. That does not change the fact that we live in a country that half of the government is still run by these alt-right crazy people. And I, I want to just give hope to those people that they can get out. They can get into a better situation. They can get somewhere where they feel safe. Well, what we like to highlight on this show a lot, since I'm in long-term recovery, is uh, the <clears throat> fact that you can get there from here. And we talk, and we talk about recovery stories. Everybody's in recovery from something. It doesn't have to be drugs or alcohol. It can be anxiety. It can be depression. It can be abuse. It can be chewing your fingernails or eating too many banana popsicles. <laughs> uh, so, but the important thing is we qualify ourselves, and then we say, here's what I did about it. That's the important part. Here's what I did about it. I definitely think that, you know, and, and there were definitely moments in life where you think like there's nothing you can do. And, and when push came to shove, I, I I've noticed in my life, especially like when push came to shove, when a moment presented itself, you know, to take that moment, if it's going to better your life, I feel like, that was really the case with the move. It came so quickly to where it was just like, okay, like we can do this. We had already always talked offhandedly, you know, dreams and aspirations and things. But like once we kind of ripped the bandaid off, so to speak, and it's like, you know, it's now or never, I think that's really how we looked at it. Yeah. And I mean, we, we don't want to um, ignore the fact that, we were in a situation that afforded us some privilege, right? Not everybody can make the move in three months like we did. Financially, it was very difficult. And a lot of people are in a worse situation financially than we were. Um, so it's going to take longer and it's going to be harder to do. So what circumstances made the conditions down there untenable for you both? Housing prices are crazy. Um throughout the whole country, right? Um, they've been going up. But um, Dallas has been um, getting exceptionally bad. Um, like a, a two-bedroom apartment in a not good part of town. Um, and these aren't new apartments. These are old, like, renovated from, like, the the veterans coming home from world war two era built apartments. Um, you know, the, those can go anywhere from $1,500 or more a month. And that was going up from what we were paying, which was under $1,100 a month. So it was going almost up 50% from one year to the next. And, 
it was just no longer sustainable. And um, Eamon works in uh, delivery driving. And so it is important that he be in the city. Like, he can't do that from out in the country. Um, and the only place you're going to get housing prices that are anywhere near affordable are out in the middle of nowhere. And at that point, not only does it make it unfeasible because of work for him, but it also makes it unfeasible because of safety. Dallas in and of itself is still pretty blue, but the second you get outside of those city limits, it is terrifying. Uh, there's a phrase I like to use called you can hear banjos. <laughs> and it's basically you get out so far in the backwoods that even if nobody is playing a banjo, you can still kind of hear it because it's just that out there. Um, so, you know, it's unsafe. It feels unsafe. You can feel feel it creeping in physically. There's like a physical reaction. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, like it, we were at that point forced to choose between our families and our family. And we had to choose our future. We had to choose our family. And so we started looking um, at cities with lower housing prices. And then Pittsburgh was pretty high on that list as far as affordability and then we already knew sorg here and we knew other people here and so it became a no-brainer it was like we already have connections there if we have to make a run for it to toronto it's like five <laughs> hours away yeah. we can make that drive <laughs> um you know but my my body has always called to the north i've always hated the heat so it makes it just ticked a lot of boxes for us and it just became clear that this is where we belong and the second we set foot here it was like coming home we'll be continuing our conversation with Eamon and Merlin of a gay and his NB podcast on our next episode and as always we offer a free prescription fruits nuts and vegetables unplug your television and take up fishing, and for a truly mindful experience, we suggest that you fish without bait. Do a kindness for yourself, and do a kindness for another. Forgive yourself, and forgive another. Till all are free, none are free. Namaste. If you're interested in flying the colors of fishing without bait, click the shop icon on our website. We have clothing, mugs, cell phone cases, and so much more. Show the world that you fish without bait.